How's everybody doing? We're back. All right. It's good. Poor sound guys, man. They're back there. It's like everybody's head goes looking at them like, hey, man, you need to get this junk fixed. We came to church. This, we woke up early for this thing. Just kidding. You're doing amazing, Dustin. Gosh, the sound guys. Hand for the sound guys. They always very rarely do we champion them. And I tell you what, if they didn't get it right, it would be terrible. I mean, I'm just telling you, Gerald knows. Like, it's like, it's, there's, if that kink in the chain breaks, you know. I mean, Seth could go down playing guitar and we might still survive. Um, but if Dustin's not doing it, uh, we're all done for. Uh, man, if you got your Bible, um, if you could turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, that's kind of the launching pad this morning. We're in the return series. And I'll just say this about this, this morning. Um, I'm excited because they're, and it, not because uh, I've got this amazing message, but the, the truth that's going to come out today out of God's word is it's so practical. It's spiritual and practical, but it, it, it can change your life today. Like it's, there, there's, I, I'm so confident that if you get a hold of this, and there's some elements of this, some of you are going to be nodding your head going, I, I get this because I've been through this and this actually is true and I, I'm, I'm down and I'm glad you reminded me. And some will be angry because you don't believe. And I think I've been in this place, like not believing and wondering if I can trust God enough to surrender my, my, my posture and my everything to him in, in, the, in moments that we're going to talk about today. Um, but I was thinking about this idea of returning. And if you haven't been with us in this series, we've kind of, you know, if you think about it, it's this idea of what is it, what is it, what is it like for us to return, to come home? We thought, let's not brush by 2020 and where we've been in this season of life this last year and a half, but let's, let's think about what maybe we have lost along the way. Let's think about what maybe God has revealed along the way. And what is it that we do need to return turn to? It's so much, le- you know, it's, it's, it's way more than, you know, it's, it's time to return to church, people. Get back here and start giving. Um, it's really about our hearts returning to, to God. And what is it that we need to return to? Maybe what is it that, we, that God has revealed that we're, that we're seeing that has happened this past year, year and a half, um, or maybe just in our lives and in the circumstances? You know, when the, when the pandemic hit, I think it's, it's, like, it's like anything. It's, the pandemic is like a, a, like a 20-year sermon illustration for pastors. I mean, it's like, I mean, you've, it's one of those things that's there, and it, it does, it has revealed so much about who we are. You know, there's something in scripture called the refiner's fire. It's just, you know, it's this idea of the pressure cooker. And in life, when things are going well, which it does often in the West, I know we have problems, um, but if you look at the last 50 years, the United States of America, you know, land of the free. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's the best place to live uh, in the world. I mean, you might argue with that and the cynicism in our day, you know, might tell you, oh, it's not, it's awful. There's all these awful things. But when it comes down to it, uh, you, know, you know, when we have to go to bed at night and admit to ourselves, it is awesome here, right? Where we live, what with the freedoms that we have. Um, and so when things are awesome, often p- things, are, things are good between people and the way that we operate, things can go well. But when things go bad, I mean, we, and you see this historically and biblically all through the Bible, when the pressure cooker comes in, when all of a sudden circumstances change, when things go awful in life, when things turn, and I said this last week, you live long enough on planet Earth, no matter where you live, you're going to bleed. When that happens, our true colors come out. The things come to the surface that maybe we didn't know about ourselves. Like the muck, like when, you, when in the refiner's fire, it's like when you are, when you're, 
boiling down the gold and the silver, this, this crud, this, this junk comes to the surface that you can scrape off so that it purifies it. Well, the pandemic for many of us has been a purifier. It's revealed things about us. Like, I didn't know that about them, you know? I mean, you've said that about somebody in the last year. I really didn't know that about them. And it wasn't necessarily a good thing. You know what I'm saying? And we have these things that have come to the surface over. And for me, what I realized about myself, there's many things I've realized, some which I will not tell you, but my coping mechanisms, like you think that you've got all your trust, all your hope, all of your life in it with Jesus and whatever comes, come what may, he is the foundation of my life. If all else falls away and I have Jesus, I have everything, which are good platitudes and they're, they're absolute truths to say. But what's going to happen when darkness falls? What's going to happen when a pandemic comes? What's going to happen when even just small things, small comforts get taken away? How are we going to operate? For me, I remember, you know, thinking, well, I could care less about, I mean, I do like Netflix and all that stuff. And, you know, it's definitely been a coping mechanism, but I I like the outdoors and I'm very active. So I was just like, I'll I'll be fine. You know, everybody else is discovering what it's like to be outside during the pandemic because everybody was just wandering around outside in March of 2020. It was just like, sky. It's amazing. And it's like my neighbors that I hadn't met, you know, I've been there for 10 years and we're all like, Hey man, what's up? Hanging out in the front yard, socially distanced, of course, hanging out outside. Everybody's biking everywhere. The weather was beautiful March of 2020. And I thought we're fine. And then all of a sudden they shut down the beach. (laughs) Now Derek was not happy about that. And when I talk in the third person about myself, I really was not happy. And I, I surf and it's like my exercise, my coping mechanism, stress relief. That's a good one. You, sh- you should have exercise and those type of things. Go to the gym, hit the, you know, just crush the CrossFit box. I mean, you should do those things. Um, but they can be coping. And when it went away, I honestly, like, I don't like to talk about, you know, anxiety and depression. It started to hit. Like, where am I going to go? I mean, I was scrambling to try to find, like, can I sneak in? Like, break the law. I did not care. I was, like, going to find it. And I remember Ponte Vedra was open. I was like, I should got to drive all the way down there. And I found this little place right at the border of Jack's Beach and Ponte Vedra. You know, if you go 38, you know, like 38th South Jack's Beach, there's this little, you can see these little markers between Ponte Vedra. It was amazing to see it. They showed a picture of it, it like a, an aerial picture of it when they closed the beaches in Jacksonville. It was like, Blank. All you see is like cop, you know, cops patrolling the beach, kicking people off the beach because you know they it was illegal to be on the beach then. And then you see these these South Pole, these little poles that mark Ponte Vedra, and then it's like a million people. I mean, it was like, and of course they show it on the news in this angle that looks like people are literally making out on the beach, not social distancing. Um, and so I went down there, and of course it eventually, you know, you're like, oh, it's my secret little spot, and then everybody discovers, and people down there are looking at you like dude, are you really coming down here with your surfboard? I've never seen you before Jack's Beach, right? And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm really happy about this. And yeah, within a week it was shut down. And then it's just like all of a sudden the coping mechanisms, how we started treating each other or the things that were happening. We're like, in the beginning, it was like common invisible enemy. The world is going to unite. And then everything kind of went sideways with the election and the way that people treated each other. And then You know, what's happened now and what we're realizing now is that anxiety and depression have exploded and they haven't gone away. Like it's left damage in the wake. 
fear, anxiety, depression, the things that have come along the way. I mean, alcohol sales went through the roof. There was this one company that had started in, in 2019. And, and I mean, you talk about them thinking they were geniuses before they even knew what was happening. The company's called Drizzly. I don't even know why. It's a great name for an alcohol delivery company, but it's Drizzly. And this lady said, you know, especially in the early days when the lockdown started getting put in place, we saw a pretty dramatic increase. I bet you did. Um, said Liz Paquette with a company called Drizzly that raised 50 million last month. And that was like in, in the April of 2020. Um, to expand operations. Paquette declined to say just how many people are now using the app to arrange home alcohol deliveries, um, but said the company has seen a surge in new customers. We stand today, we're up around 350% in sales over the same time last year. 350% home delivery alcohol, Drizzly, doing pretty good in the stock market. They're just crushing it because people are coping the, the, there's a 30 to 40% increase in anxiety and depression medication that happened in 2020, which was already the highest prescribed medication in the world. People walked through it. And what's crazy is outside, the, it's almost as if the things that happened during the pandemic became worse than COVID itself. And it did, like the things that happened, especially in, in our church and the things that have happened in our community and the things that, that I've experienced have been worse. And, and not to say, I mean, you, there's people in here who will testify, Corona is no fun. Corona is no funna. I mean, it's bad. It's, you don't want to walk through that. But it, it revealed how we cope. It revealed what we're leaning on, what we trust in. When circumstances change and not for the better, when darkness falls, I realize in many ways, we in the church, including me, we cope the same way that the world does. You know, I'm not saying that we're not supposed to watch TV or we need to completely withdraw from society. We are in the world. We are to shine lights in the world. I'm not telling you, I mean, the streaming, you know, we broke the internet during the pandemic because people were coping, right? I mean, I know we had to Zoom, it, it for, but people didn't really like Zooming. That ended pretty quickly. But I mean, we were streaming show after show after show until, of course, those ran out because there was no more shows. People weren't making them anymore. And then it was podcasts. Everybody was listening to podcasts. But we, we tend to cope like the world does. What's our first response to discomfort, to pain, to fear, boredom, to frustration and anger? What do we go to? And all of us, maybe pre-pandemic, pre-trouble, we would say, of course, it's Jesus. Of course, the foundation of my life is church. Of course, these are the things that I put my life in, but we see on the outside, and again, I'm with you, we cope differently. So what is it that we're supposed to do? How are we supposed to live? What, are we, what maybe do we need to return to that will actually change the way that we walk through darkness? Because you and I, as Gerald said, we will all, I mean, some, some of you may be going through the best time of your life right now, but I know that some of you are going through the worst time of your life. You're in the place of darkness. You've walked through the darkness. You know what it's like to have difficult circumstances. You know what it's like to be on the other end of the phone call when somebody says cancer, when somebody says divorce, when somebody says, I don't wanna be with you anymore. You know what it's like. So what's our response? How are we supposed to live in this world? In 2 Corinthians, the apostle Paul says this in, in verse three of chapter 10, he says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war, war as the world does. So the first thing that we see is, though we live here, the way that we cope is different. Though we live here, 
And this is our home, the way that we cope with difficulty, the way that we cope with stress, the way that we cope with anxiety, the way that we cope with difficult times, the way that we walk through cancer. And again, I'm not making light of anybody's situation. I get darkness. I understand it intimately. But the way that we cope and what the Apostle Paul is saying here is we don't wage war the way that the world does. Well, how do we? Well, he says in verse four, he says, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. They actually can change things, unlike Netflix. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, the things that attack the mind, the things that attack the heart, the things that tell us that life is going to end, the things that tell us that that person hates us. We take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. Take captive every thought. Wouldn't you like to do that? Like the mind, it goes into crazy mode sometimes. It takes, takes you away sometimes. And sometimes you have no idea. Before you've, you know, woke, just drawn breath in the morning, the enemy begins to speak to you. The circumstances begin to speak to you. Wouldn't you like to make them obedient to what's good, to what's right, to what's holy, to what's joyful, to what's sweet, what's good about who God is? I want to make my thoughts obedient to Christ. So how do we, how do, we do that? Well, the Apostle Paul talks a lot to the church in the epistles. He says a lot of different things. But he brings clarity. It's in, in, in this passage and many others. In Colossians 3, he says this. He says, you want peace? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Okay, great. That's, well, just, just tell me to do it, and I'm going to do it. Thanks. You know? It's just like telling somebody not to look at the pink elephant, right? Just have peace. Read this verse, and you will have peace. But I love the Apostle Paul. He didn't mess around. He told you how. He says, let the message of Christ, he says, let the gospel, you need to know and understand what Jesus has done for you. Because if you do, you'll know who loves you and you'll know who's your advocate. You, you'll know who's fighting for you. You'll know who's won the victory for you. you. You'll know that you shouldn't fear death because he's defeated death. He's saying, let that sit in you, in your chest richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. How? Listen to this. It's the key right here. Through Psalms hymns, and songs from the Spirit. You want to make your mind captive and obedient to Christ? How are we going to do it? With all wisdom through what? Psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. We've already talked about returning to the Word. So of course we want the better Word, the Word of Christ in our mind, in our heart. But one of the most creative things that God's done with us on the planet is He's given us psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to sing to God with gratitude in our hearts that will change the way that we think, that will make our minds obedient to Christ. And if you think this is just something that we're stirring up out of Scripture today, it's all across the landscape of Scripture. That worship changes things. It changes things in your mind. It changes things in your perspective. It changes things about you physically. And I believe that to be true. If you look at, I love second, there's so many passages where this happens, but in Second Chronicles um, chapter 20, Verses 21 and 22, Jehoshaphat, we've talked about the kings in the Old Testament. Most of them were bad. You got around 40 and 
And there was about eight that people call good kings. They were medium, in my opinion. Uh, they, they were all right. A lot of them at the end of their life just bombed. But Jehoshaphat, he was, a pretty, he was a pretty good king. And he's up against it. Small Israelite army. And he's surrounded by three Moabite kings. And they are coming in. And it's going to be curtains for them. It's going to be over. But God tells them, just, just you need to believe me that this battle is mine. This victory is mine. What you see with your eyes is one thing, and it looks like it's all going to be over for you. But what's true about who you're with and who's on your side, the battle's mine. So Jehoshaphat makes, this, it makes his mind up. He says, well, if that's true, then we're going to, we're going to, we're going to put the, the choir out front instead of, instead of William Wallace you know, and, and Gladiator. You know, we're going we're gonna to put, put the worship leaders out there. You know, we're going to let's get Justin Bieber up here. Come on. We're going to get somebody up here. We're going to get Aaron Walsh. We're going to get Gerald skinny jeans and all. They're all going to be up front waging the war in the battle. That's who's going to be up front. We're going to put the worshipers up front and they're going to say, great is your faithfulness. Great is God's love for us. They're going to declare victory before they've even walked into battle because God has declared it for them. We're going to declare it now. And I've not been one of those name it, claim it people. Like I'm going to claim it, even though my body's broken down, even though I have cancer, I'm just going to say, I do not have cancer. I'm not one of those people. But when God's declared it, when we see it in his word, we can declare it. When he says the victory has been won, when he says he's on your side, you can believe it. You can take it to the bank. He's on your side. And when you see this, they go there in verse 22. Look, it says, and they began to sing and praise. Can you just imagine the scene? They're cruising in and they're singing these songs of praise to God. You know, God is coming. He's, he's moving in this, this place. Imagine how like that, that balance of I believe, but help my unbelief as you're going, you're hoping, you know, you're like, William Wallace is behind us and I'm here with my harp and we see an ugly dude that wants to kill me with a javelin about to throw it through my heart. They're singing the songs. And the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were routed. Choir up front. Worship leaders up front. We're going to worship first. We're going to change the circumstances with singing. It doesn't even make sense. As a man, I'm just telling you, this, is, this was a hard one for me. Oh, we're going we're gonna to fight this battle with a guitar. You know, we're going to fight this war with singing. It's what happens. It's just, it's just the way that, I mean, think about Paul and Silas. They sang at midnight. Chains fell off. Prison doors swung wide open. You know, worship's not just our response to grace. It's a means of grace. Like we're, we, we do respond. Like I am thankful. I'm responding in gratitude that God is with me, that he'll never leave me or forsake me, that he gave his life away from me, that I'm eternally approved of by the king of the universe, that the cross of Jesus Christ is amplifying just throughout history that, that nothing is never the, that it can be the end of me because he defeated death. To hold on and be grateful for those things that I've been you know, born into his family as a believer. 
that we share the spiritual blood as Christians. Yes, I want to be thankful and sing those things. That's, you know, worship is our response to what matters most. We certainly should respond, but worship is also, it's this gift of grace that we have because worship is a weapon. It is a weapon in the midst of circumstances. It is our coping mechanism spiritually that was given to us to stand in the midst of places when it doesn't make sense and to sing loudly, to lift our voices in praise. Not in this way of rainbows and lollipops and ignoring our circumstances. But for us, and for me certainly, we need to return to worship. Worship is a weapon. How is worship a weapon? I got five things this morning and we'll be done. The first one is worship changes the soundtrack of our circumstances. Worship changes because the soundtrack of our circumstances, whether good or bad or necessary, they will always be speaking. In the midst of a health crisis, it's going to be, what's your diagnosis? I mean, the voice and the things that are going to be said in your house is, when are you going to the next doctor's appointment? When are you going to get this checked out? When, when is this going to happen? When are we doing our dialysis treatment? When are we getting our cancer treatment? When is this going to be happening? When's the next thing going to happen? What's the mortality rate for what you have? And these are the things that you got to say, they're going to be roaming around the house. They're going to be roaming around the mind. They're going to be in there and they're not necessarily good or bad. They're necessary, but the enemy will use those things to come again you. You know, I know you just got divorced. I know I just saw him out. He was with this other woman. I guess that's who he's dating now. Soundtrack. The enemy will use those things to bury you and put you in darkness. But worship changes that soundtrack. It fills the mind with something different, with the faithfulness of God, that, that your story's not over, that when you're not enough, that he is enough that he is good, that I want to feel and experience and know the goodness of God. And I want to remember that. I want to believe what's in the word. And there's this unbelievably spiritual thing about singing hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs to one another. It's good on your own, but it's amazing corporately to look around and see other people all unified, changing the soundtrack of our lives together in a room. Never forsake meeting together. And this is one of the reasons, because worship's a weapon and we want to change the soundtrack of our life. You know, this week, I, Wednesday, I got up and the enemy will do this. Before your feet hit the floor, he'll speak death over you. Before my feet hit the floor, I just wasn't having a good day on Wednesday. I know you're thinking, really, the pastor not having a good day? I thought the angels just sung to you in the morning when you got up. No, you know. I thought he rides his chariot to work. You know? I do ride a chariot to work. Um, it is a scooter, 40 cc's. It blazes. You've probably seen it on A1A. Lloyd, just go. Um, but Wednesday, just what, I mean, wasn't, wasn't happening for me. Just not having one of those great days. But you know what was amazing is that I was scheduled to lead worship with students. And I just thought when I was up here, and I said, and Seth was actually playing guitar with me and uh, Kenny Ponton's playing bass. Um, my son Abe, Abe was, was playing keys. Um, can't remember who was, um, Isaac's playing drums. And I just said, hey, you know, I, I gotta be honest, I need this probably more than the kids do in terms of singing these songs. And I said, we're gonna worship. And I, it's not that we're gonna ignore what they're doing. We're gonna lead them beyond ourselves into the veil, under, you, know, you know, beyond the veil and to the presence of God. I said, but let's worship. Let's just forget about all the, you know, let's be perfect. And let's, let's, we want to, I want to worship because I need to sing that I'm no longer a slave to fear. I need to sing 
these songs. I need to know that I'm a child of God. I need to sing that you split the sea so I could walk right through it. I need my fears drowned in perfect love. I need to sing those things. I need to sing that you're my author. You're my maker. You're my ransom. You're my savior. You're my refuge. You're my hiding place. I needed to sing those things. And I'm telling you, it changed my day. I was like, man, I wish worship, I wish Wednesday night student thing was at eight o'clock in the morning. It would have been a whole lot better day because it changed things to sing. I got home and Beth's like, how you doing? How, you know, how's, how's, how's your day? It's like, it's a whole lot better now. Because worship is, it's a weapon. It changes the soundtrack. It, it speaks something over you spiritually and it doesn't change your circumstances. It doesn't, it reframes them. It shrinks those circumstances and the, and the thing that actually does matter, which is the glory of God, which is God's faithfulness, the fact that he is alive, that he is standing next to you, it reveals his face, which the enemy wants to hide from you all the time. It reframes your circumstances. It's not that you're on a cloud and just floating and nothing's wrong and I'm just not worried about all this other stuff. Those things are there. Cancer doesn't magically go away. I mean, God can come in and heal and change your circumstances, but there's, there's seasons where we walk through the valley. That doesn't change, but it, man, it reframes. Worship reframes those things. You read the songs written in the Psalms and they're honest about the surroundings. Psalm 6, it says, Heal me, Lord. My bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? I mean, he's not ignoring his circumstances. He's not do, doing the Christian rainbows and lollipops like, I got Jesus and everything's great. You just need some Jesus. He's like, how long? Deliver me, save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, I love this. He says, among the dead, no one claims your name. Who praises you from the grave? He's honest with God. He's like, hey God, if they kill me, if my body fails, I won't be able to praise your name. Please keep me alive. I mean, that's a good way to say something to God if you're in the middle of it, you know? Like, hey, you want people amplifying your name? Don't take me out, man. He's honest. Circumstances. But then he culminates with, away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. Truth now coming in, changing the soundtrack. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. I mean, I love the 23rd Psalm. You know, I walk, even though I walk through the darkest valley, it's not ignoring the circumstances, but what happens in that valley? I'll fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me and you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Not in rainbow and lollipop land, right there in the midst of the dark, he's setting a table and saying, you and me, Take your mind, take your heart. We're going to be captive, me and you, sitting at a table with Jesus. He's saying, I got your mind, I got your heart, I got everything right here in the presence of your enemies. We're, we're going to feast right here, and the enemy can't touch you because you're at the dinner table with me. That reframes everything for you. Worship changes the soundtrack. Second thing is, worship displaces worry. Gerald said this multiple times, and I love it. Worship and worry cannot be in your mouth at the same time. Worship cripples that fear. It does. It might take a minute. You got to step in because a lot of times I don't believe and I'm just like, I'm almost cynical. I'm like, I can't sing these songs today. You ever walked in here and felt that? I can't sing these today. I'm, I'm upset with God right now. Like, have you ever admitted that to yours? Like my circle, I'm mad. I'm not happy about what's going on in my life. But knowing this truth, 
that worship is a weapon. It is, it is not just our response to the grace that we've been given. It is a means of grace. It's a gift. And to say, you know what, I'm going to step, I'm going to make a move. I don't even, I can't even physically lift my hands, but I will lift my hands and he will uphold my hands as I do. And I'm telling you, it changes things in the mind. That worry that's in your mind, and I'm not telling you it's a magic trick, but I challenge you. Try to put, put worship in your mind and in your mouth and see if worry is gonna dominate you while you're singing those songs as loud as you can. I'm telling you, it's amazing. You know, it's not just a biblical thing. What's funny is I think the world, we always think we're so smart and this, the Bible's been telling us this, you know, for, since the beginning of time about the darkness, about anxiety, about fear, about the valley and the, and the place that worship has in it. I was reading an article in Psychology Today and talking about this idea of singing with other people, like how good it is to be in a place and sing with other people. And it's a, this guy, is, he's, a, he's a psychologist, he's a doctor. And he says, anytime, listen to this, he's, he's writing an article about the, the benefits physically and psychologically of singing. He says, anytime I get a chance to sing with others, the positive effects of singing my heart out seem exponentially better. I am not alone. New research corroborates anecdotal evidence that singing your heart out in a group makes people happier. Isn't that great? I mean, I love that. How? By reducing symptoms of anxiety, depression, and loneliness. From a psychophysiology uh, and community building perspective, previous research has found that choir singing benefits the autonomic nervous system by reducing the fight or flight stress responses as marked by more robust vagus nerve activity. Go look up the vagus nerve. It will freak you out and blow you away. Singing changes things. Lifting your voices. Not only there was so many articles on this, it's crazy. The synchronization of breathing and heartbeats in a room, which nobody even knew existed. And then somebody said, I want to study this whole thing. And you get into a rhythm and all of a sudden people that have all these different patterns and rhythms in their life and the way that they operate over time as we sing together, as we get into a song and we're singing, we have to breathe in the same time, especially a choir. I mean, they're taught to breathe together to get into that rhythm together, the heart starts to get into that same rhythm. And there's a brain synchronization that happens at the same time. The pet, they can put electrodes on your brain and kind of look at your brain activity and where it's all scattered before you start singing, they've done it with people. And all of a sudden, it all of a sudden begins to unify and everybody's brain patterns look the same on the screens. Fascinating, crazy. And it literally emotionally and physically brings restoration and healing. And God's been telling us to do this since the beginning of time in his word. Thirdly, worship repels the enemy. I and mean, we know that our enemy in the darkness that we, we, we look and we see our circumstances, but Ephesians 6 tells, tells us that we, we don't wage war against flesh and blood. So we need different weapons. And the enemy hates worship. He wants you to be cynical about worship. He wants you to say, that's not my jam. He wants you to say, I come just for the talk, the whole singing thing. I'm gonna come late and do my thing. And if that's you, God bless you, but I'm telling you, you're missing out. 
on one of the most amazing gifts of grace that God's given us, which is worship and song. Because it changes things. And it repels the enemy that is hassling you and wants to kill you. That's his one job on his business card. Steal, kill, destroy. That's what he wants to do to you because you love Jesus and you want to carry his name to the ends of the earth. There's an enemy that wants to take you out. And guess what? He hates worship. It makes the enemy flee. He does not want to hear singing. It's interesting. I mean, there's been unbelievable testimonies. I, I should have dug up a couple of people that would have been in the mission field and they didn't know what to do because they had evil spirits that were happening in their community. And they were just like, what do we do? And they're like, just let's play worship music. And they just turn on worship music for days. And all of a sudden, the craziness, like the, the witch doctor that was in the town just died randomly. I mean, just crazy stuff would happen. You know, you can believe that or not, but the, the enemy hates it. Cowers at the name of Jesus that's being sung in biblical worship songs. I mean, David played music for Saul. Why? Because an evil spirit was hassling him. And every time the worship leader of worship leaders, David, led, enemy, gone, evil spirit, left. Saul's like, all the time, Saul was like, oppression, oppression, oppression. David, come in, play your harp, do your thing. Evil spirit, left. God is waiting to, to give you, put words in your mouth, give you a, a song in the midst of, what the enemy wants to do to you. In Job 35, it says this, people cry out under a load of oppression. I've done this. One, ah, can't take it anymore. They plead for relief from the arm of the powerful, but no one says, where is God my maker who gives songs in the night? That's who I want to call to, is the God that can bring me a song in the night when I need it. Because worship repels the enemy. And God can give you that song. Number four, worship gives us words to preach to ourselves. <laughs> I love this. Psalm 46, listen to this. The psalmist says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Listen, he's, he's talking to himself. Must sound, if, he, if anybody's around, he's probably saying it out loud. Like, is he in there talking to himself? Soul, why are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land, the Jordan, the heights of Hermon and Mount Mazar. I love it. I need this. I need to preach to myself. And it's not that all of worship, worship is our response to God because he matters way, way more than anything else on this planet, that he is worthy of our worship. But I also need to, along with other people, I need to preach to myself. Soul, don't be downcast. I mean, you ever need to say that to yourself? Like you don't even know why you're down or you don't even know why you're feeling the way you're feeling. You don't even know why you're blowing up at your spouse. You don't even know why this is happening. Soul, why do you keep doing this? Worship gives us words to do that, to wage war against our own mind and the things that are going on in our mind. Anxiety, stress, the darkness, circumstances can drive you crazy. They can give you ridiculous thoughts, lies about what your future looks like. The enemy is going to tell you that you're dying. The enemy is going to tell you that they hate you. The enemy is going to tell you that you're terrible at your job and that nobody likes you. And you're going to spawn off of that and it's going to create crazy 
irrational thoughts. And worship gives us truth to read on screens. I, I do like lyrics. I do like looking at them on the screen sometimes and letting those words sit in my mind and kind of resonate in the, in the back of my you know, eyesight, even when I walk out of here, just remembering them. Words like, fear not, for I am with you. Like I need, to, I need to remember those things. I need to hold on to those truths in life in the valleys that we walk through. Soul, don't be downcast. And number five, worship invites Jesus. You know, it's not that Jesus isn't, isn't here because he's, he's, he's never really left you if you're a follower. But it, just as we said before, it reframes and all of a sudden now we can see who he is. And if you're wondering why it's important that Jesus is in the mix, because the thing that we need most when we're desperate for so many different things in our circumstances is what we really need at the end of the day is not just Jesus to come because he's the healer or Jesus to come because he's the restorer or Jesus to come because he can give us what we need. He can bring our spouse back. He can bring our health back. He can bring those things. But what we really need more than all of those things is Jesus. But what's beautiful is he is the total package. And Isaiah, Jesus, when he came in flesh on planet earth as a, as, a, as a human being, he quotes Isaiah 61. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Say, like, God's on me. And guess what he's anointed me to do? He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. I could use some good news. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. That's pretty good news too to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Yeah, I wanna invite Jesus into my world, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. You know, I'd like that trade. I'd like some beauty for the ashes. the oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Worship invites Jesus. And you know what he wants to give you? He wants to give you a garment of praise instead of despair. And I know what you're thinking, because I, I think it. I'm like, well, Jesus is here. If he wants to make me feel better, he needs to start doing it now. You know, I think about it. You know, God uses relationships to, to give us an imperfect, because it's all we have, imperfect view of, of how he cares for us and how he loves us. And I think about, you know, I, I, I live in the same house with my wife. I work with my wife. We have kids. We're around each other a lot. Proximity, a lot wake up together. I mean, it just, we just shoulder to shoulder quite a bit. But guess what we still do? We have date night. Why? We're together all the time. Good gosh. Find another person to be around. Right? But date night's different because it's this focused attention. That, that allows all of the other stuff to drift away. And it's, I got your mind. 
I got your heart right here. As we're eating together, as we're hanging together, as we're talking about our kids, we're talking about work, we're doing this stuff, but it's just me and it's just you. And I wanna know all the things about you. I wanna tell you all the things about me. We're gonna have a date, we're gonna have time. And when I, when I inject worship into my life, in those moments, guess what? There, there's no room for all the other stuff. When, I, when I'm singing these songs to Jesus, when I'm proclaiming who he is, when I'm saying that you'll never leave me or forsake me, when, 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 when I'm singing about how much you love me, how you've given your life to me, how you've poured out your blood for me, how you have changed the, the very person that I am, all the other stuff begins to shrink. It's still there, but man, it becomes a whole lot less important. And the countenance of who I am changes. The way that I walk through the darkness changes. Worship is, is like date night. It's like this thing that you, you didn't think. It's like that thing. And I just would challenge you to inject this. And I'm not just private worship, but corporate worship. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss out on that. It's like that thing that you don't know that you really needed until you got there. Like there's things in life that you're always glad you did, but they're always hard to do, like going to the gym, you know? It's like, you know, it's like, oh, I didn't go there, I didn't go there. And there's a whole week goes by, you didn't go. And then you go and you're like, why haven't I not? I just enjoy this. Like my body feels better. My, everything about me feels better when I work out. I feel that way about surfing early in the morning because the waves are really good early. And then if you miss it and you like get up at eight and you're like, there's so much regret. You know, even though you slept, you're like, oh, it's cold outside. I don't feel like putting on a wetsuit, I'm just in a sleep, you know? And then I get up at eight and I, I look at the, the surf report and I see these glassy, perfect waves and I see all these really happy dudes out there just going, ah, and I'm like, man. Worship can be like that. Like, I don't, I don't know that I wanna step in there right now. I don't feel it right now. I'm not feeling it right now. But you'll never regret date night with Jesus church. God's crafted church for a corporate, this beautiful, crazy, weird relationship with God where we unify our hearts and our souls with, with Jesus together. How exciting is that? And it's a, it's a glimpse. If we want to know what heaven's like, we get glimpses in this room, not because this room's special, but because God inhabits the praises of his people. He comes and changes things. My challenge to you would be in the middle of the storm, worship. It'll change the soundtrack of your life. It will, it, it will displace worry. It will make the enemy flee. It will change something in your heart. And it's a, it's a practice. It's something you gotta do. And it's something that doesn't, it's not like immediately, all of a sudden, I'm healed. I don't have any of this anymore. It's all gone away. life in a way that when you walk out, I'm telling you, it will change your life. It will change your life. Get you a playlist, put it on Spotify, put it on in the house, put it on in the car, and sing the praises of the King who gave his life away for you, that will never leave you, that has defeated everything that is scary in this life, because death is the scariest. That's the King. Let's stand. 
God, we love you. We love who you are. God, we just, we can't believe that we are the children of God, that you've called us, that you've put us in this place and that you've, you've given us in a fallen and broken world, not just yourself, but you've given us these unbelievable gifts of grace and this one called worship where we can surrender our lives to you and change the very way that we think, the way that we walk and the way that we live for you.